All right, well, today uh, we are going to be, we're going to have a little shorter message. Yes, don't worry, I did plan for all of that. So um, we are, we're going to be talking about friendships in the theme of friendships in Proverbs this morning. So would you join me in prayer for our time? God, we need you. We need you right now, God, to help us to focus in on your word. We've heard glorious things about what you are doing in the world, and now we want to see the foundation of that in your word. God, I pray that this time would encourage us and strengthen us and and you would confront us and that you would show us beautiful things. God, we need you to understand these things and to love these things and to live these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the big themes in Proverbs that we see is one of friendship. And there's a lot of how do you, how do you be a good friend? How can you be a, a, a good friend, a, a friend that is a godly friend? And, and how do you have these friends? And, um, but what's interesting about this and, and why it's a little tricky is because our language kind of fails us here. So we think of friends, we use the term friend to describe a whole, um, a whole slew of relationships, a whole chasm, there's a huge chasm between what we would consider kind of a, a casual friend or a work friend and all the way up to what we would say a close friend, a good friend, a, maybe a best friend. And, and so, but the only way we can describe that is by adding some kind of a descriptor to the word friend. And so our language just kind of fails us. So when we talk about biblical friendship and the friendship that's brought up in Proverbs, it's important that we define what are we talking about. Now last fall we went through our identity statement and we did a big series kind of on our vision and our identity and that was that we are God's family on mission. And that's, that's who God declares that we are in Scripture, and so we want to live in light of that. We want to, um, we, and so we spent several weeks going through what does it mean that we belong to God? What does it mean that we are God's family then? What does family look like in light of the, the fact that we belong to God and we are brothers and sisters? And then we talked about what that mission looks like that God has sent us on and what it looks like to go on that mission in light of being God's family. And so that family, that idea of, of those relationships, of that community, that is what we're talking about. We're not talking about what the world would see as friends or what we would see as kind of a casual acquaintance, what we are talking about are the biblical, is the biblical true friend, which is what we would consider family. We see in Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So that common friend, that acquaintance, that is a companion, as we, as we refer to that here today. That's what we refer to as a companion. But what we are aiming for and what we are wanting and desiring is what the Bible refers to as a true friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, when he says this, the first part of it seems a little strong. What does it mean that a man of many companions may come to ruin? What we see in this one little proverb is that it's very serious, this idea of knowing um, the difference between these and making sure that we have the kind of friends that the Bible talks about. And what I, what I want to do here today, kind of my aim in the, in the time that we have, is to help us identify the difference between companions and friends. 
And what are the, what are the pitfalls? What, why is it dangerous to be surrounded by only companions? And what are the benefits of having these true friends? I also want to address a huge myth that I think permeates church culture that keeps us from experiencing often what the Bible talks about with friendship. And then I want to just briefly address then how do we develop them then? Like how do we pursue this? If you feel convinced at that point that you want to pursue this, how do we do that? So a companion, basically, when we're talking about the, the idea of a companion and that what Proverbs is talking about here is someone you share interests with. Like it's a person that, that is around you as long as you're doing a, a certain activity. And we all have these. You know, it's a, it's a friendship that kind of benefits you in some way or serves a certain purpose. And we have these people who um, bond over like the Packers or bond over fishing or, or hunting or a certain TV show or a certain um, activity or whatever the case is. You, or you, maybe you share the same life stage and so maybe you have kids that are the same age. And all of these are, these are companions. These are people that are built around specific interests or qualities, worldly things that are going on around you. You may share work or something else and um, like that term that we use for like work friends. Well, that would be what the Bible is referring to as a companion. And it can be hard to know the difference because sometimes companions feel like true friends. Because you do spend time with them and maybe you spend time um, doing things that you really love doing and so it just seems like really enjoyable and really wonderful and so that you, you think that those are true friends. And I think most of us, if not all of us, have had the experience where we've been kind of, we've been left disappointed in the wake of some kind of adversity happening. Where you thought what you had was a true friend. You thought what you had was, was that but really you found that you actually just had a companion. And the question is, how do you know the difference between those? How does having companions end in ruin? And how can I make sure that I have true friends? Well, there's, there's, there's a couple of ways to tell the difference. One is that when hard times hit, companions run and friends stick. Okay, you've, you've probably heard some version of the phrase that when hard times hit, you, it reveals who your true friends are, right? And we've all been in those um, experiences. And one thing that's really important to clarify about companions is when we say a phrase like that, when we say, well, when, when the hard times hit, you, you, it reveals who your true friends are, we often then say, well, then those companions are fake friends, and that's not always the case. I mean, there are certainly situations where people who pretended to be a good friend, pretended to be close with you, pretended to, to love you just because of what they were getting out of it, and then as soon as things got hard, they bolted and showed themselves to be disingenuous. That does happen, and that is a form of companion that Proverbs talks about. But also in that is, is someone who... Is, is honest in their companionship. They, there's someone that really does enjoy their spending time with you around a football game or a, or a shopping trip or something like that, that they, they, or that they're friendly with you, they're genuinely friendly with you here at church during a worship service, but they don't feel that sense of responsibility for you. They don't, they're, not, they're not all in with you. They don't, they don't see that relationship. Uh, let me give you an example. I, um, we recently just installed uh, a few appliances in our house. We had to replace some appliances uh, in our home. 
And so we, we ordered some new appliances, and I installed them. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I am incredibly handy, and so it went sm very smoothly. That is not true. Neither of those statements. It did not. I'm not super handy, and it did not go smoothly. In fact, Lauren and I decided, well, we need to buy the appliances, and it was around Memorial Day, and we could either buy them then or wait till the 4th of July sale. And we both said, well, we can't wait until the 4th of July sale. That's just going to be too long with the stuff that we're doing this summer. It's past 4th of July, and these appliances are still not in. So we bought them way back then. It's just taken me a really long time to get them installed. And during that time, I became friends with the guy at the hardware store. We became buddies because I would go into the hardware store and I would be looking for the thing that I needed for this and I'd be like, okay, it's this. And you go, oh yeah, here it is. And I would get it and I would take it back home and I'd be like, this isn't the thing. And so then I'd have to go back and I'd go back several times. And when you go back several times, you become friends, right? Like he and I are buddies. He's like, oh, hey, that didn't work. Nope, didn't work again. All right, we'll try this thing. Like, okay. And so, um, so you know, I'll see you again in a few minutes. All right. Um, and so we became we became kind of buddies. We became kind of friends. Like I'd see him and I'm like, hey, how's it going? Um, and, and you could be fooled into thinking that that's a real friendship. And, you, and I'd understand why you'd be fooled into thinking that given that I saw him more that week than I saw my own children. And yet, if something happened in my life, I wouldn't expect him to be there for me. Like it would be, it would be weird. The reason I wouldn't expect him to be there for me in that moment is because he didn't sign up for that. Like the extent of the companionship was, was he was willing to help me get these appliances installed and that's, that's it. And so he's not, he's not fake. He's not, he's not being disingenuous. He's not evil. He has no evil intentions. It's just not what he signed up for. And in times of need, you need people who signed up for that. And if you, all you have are a lot of companions then the proverb says you may come to ruin. Another translation of that verse says that you are about to be shattered. Because when adversity hits, you're alone. And often this happens in churches when people face difficult circumstances. And they look around and they wonder where community is. In reality, they never really had that kind of community. They had acquaintances. They had people that they sat next to in a, in a row for a worship service, or they had people that they attended a study with, or they had people that they served in a ministry with, but they turned out to be companions. And there is a kind of friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I love this proverb because it's, it's, it loves at all times and then a brother is born for adversity. Notice it doesn't just say a friend will gut it out with you and will figure it out. It says he is born for this. There's an idea among biblical friends that when adversity hits, there's a knowing look of saying this is what we're here for. When, when my mom passed away several years ago, I, I was pretty confused and it was pretty chaotic around us. I was dealing with the grief of my children, trying to be there for my father, trying to um, be there for our church who loved my mom, and it was just all this, and I was, I was spinning around and around, and I have two really dear friends that I've known since my teenage years, 
And over time, we, have, we, we live in different, we all live in different states and do different things and, and rarely see each other. And when they got this news, they, they jumped in a car and drove the 12 hours out to be there for us. And they didn't, they didn't ask. They didn't text me and say, hey, is there anything we could do? Would it be helpful if we came out there? They just jumped in a car and drove. See, here's the thing. Companions ask if there's anything they can do. Biblical true friends just do it. They already know. Part of that's because they already know what to do. I mean, think of a time where you've known someone that's a companion and someone you like and someone you genuinely, like, you, you care about them, but they're, they're a companion and, and you saw them go through a, a suffering time and, and what do you do? You say, is there anything I can do for you? Let me know if there's anything that I can do to help. It's because it's, it's the appropriate thing to say because you don't really know. But a true friend doesn't have to ask because they know. They know if you find meal preparation really stressful and so they just bring you food, whether you ask for it or not. They know if, um, if you need a break from your kids and so they just come and they grab your kids and they say, hey, I'm going to take them. They're going to play at my house for a couple of hours so you can just get some time. A companion doesn't know those things true friend does and acts on it. And another piece of that is they feel responsible for you. You know that there are people in your life that you feel responsible for. Others you care about, but there's people that you feel responsible for. They're not looking for someone else to jump in. They know that that's on them. I mean, we were um, at, at, the, at a lake a couple weeks ago. We were down in Shano and at the lake there, and um, our, my kids were out there swimming. And if you don't know Shano, the lake there, it's like 16 inches deep all the way across. I mean, it's, like, I was amazed at how shallow it is, and like, um, and, and so my kids were out there quite a ways, but they were still, like, up to their waist, and so I, um, I'm watching them, and as I'm watching them, I think, like, if something happened, there's those moments with your kids where you're like, oh, are they, is she okay? Okay, yep, she's fine, but if something were to happen with my kids out there, what would I do? You think I would sit there and be like, oh, looking around going, someone should probably do something about this, like, no, I jump in. Why? Because they're mine. They're my responsibility. I don't look at anybody else thinking they should be jumping in. I'm going. And that's what happens when true friends is they don't, they don't look around and say, like, well, this is for somebody else. And this is crucial because there are good friends. I have what even people I would consider good friends, but I think biblically they would be defined as companions, people that I'm, I have conversations with and rich conversations with. But the question is, when something happens with them, is it my responsibility or is it someone else's? Because the Bible would say if they are a true biblical friend, a friend that sticks closer to a brother, then when adversity hits, I'm in. I don't ask. Another thing that happens, the difference between the two, is companions soften you and true friends sharpen you. So a famous proverb, Proverb 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So companions leave you alone. Companions don't, don't, they don't say hard things to you. It's not really their responsibility. It's not their place. Like I said, I have friends who are, are companions, and, and so I enjoy talking to them and all that, but, but I don't necessarily go out of my way to say hard things to them. Why? Because it's not my responsibility. It's, it's somebody else's. I don't regularly speak into their lives, and it'd be weird to do that. I mean, if the guy, my buddy at the hardware store, 
If I'm there, like, asking them about, like, okay, which clamp do I need for this thing? And, and I don't even know if that's the word for it. Whatever. It's, the, what thing do I need for the thing? It's basically all my questions to him. And if he, in the middle of that, said, hey, do you feel like you're really discipling your kids well? I'd be like, what? Just help me find the part, dude. Like, I don't, I, it's none of your business if I'm discipling my kids well. But guess what? It's somebody's business if I'm discipling my kids well. I better have those people in my life who are asking those questions because true friends sharpen me. They challenge my thinking. They don't just tell me what I want to hear. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 28 says it this way, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. See, true friends say hard things. Companions flatter. Companions, here's one way you can tell. Companions always take your side in conversations. At least to your face. Like they say to your face, they take your side. So if you're complaining about your job or complaining about your, your family or complaining about whatever and, and you're saying, ah, this, is, this happened and I'm, I'm frustrated about this, a companion will always agree with you in the moment. They'll smile, they'll nod, they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, I understand what you're saying. Oh yeah, that's really hard. And they may be thinking that, or they may be thinking something completely different, or they may not really care either way, but that's what a companion does. True friends don't do that. True friends don't flatter. True friends don't always take your side in conversations. Here, think of it this way. True friends always have your back, but they don't always take your side. Okay, so true friends are always there for you. They always have your back. They always want what's best for you but they don't always take your side. They're willing to say, you know, I know you're struggling with your boss, but, but I know some things, and it seems like maybe you're struggling in this area. Like, I, I'm not sure that this is all on your boss. Friends sharpen friends. Iron sharpens iron. That word, that picture in Proverbs is used to describe the sharpening of a sword. And the context of it is using words. So our words are used like flint or like other um, steel that will sharpen um, or iron that will sharpen this iron and sharpen the sword. And the, the idea is you're sharpening the sword to make the sword useful. That's why you sharpen a sword. And so like that, when we sharpen one another with our words, we're sharpening one another to make ourselves make each other more useful. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So a true friend is not only, doesn't, not only takes it responsibility for you in times of adversity, but they also take responsibility for your investment and your participation in the mission of God. They take responsibility for that. They, they actively sharpen you. They see things in you and say, I've noticed that you seem to be quick to criticize. And how is that going to play out when you're discipling people and sharing the gospel with people? and counseling them, and, and walking alongside of them, and, and, and sharpening them. You're sharpening them for the mission, to stir them up to love and good works. I mean, I think if I asked most 
men in here, especially fathers, just for a second as an example. If I asked most fathers in here, if, if, if I said, if, do you want to be a better spiritual leader in your home? I think most people would say yes. But then let me ask you this. How many friends do you have who will hold you accountable to that end? How many people have you given permission to to say, hey, if you see something in me that is inhibiting my ability to, to be stirred up for love and good works, would you say that to me? Would you tell me that? Who do you give that permission to? And that's, that's sharpening. Listen, you simply will not be able to do the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do if you do not have friends like these. Now, at this point, you may say, well, that's great, Jay. I have those friends. I have those friends here. I've experienced that type of friendship. And I say, amen, great, praise God. That is super encouraging. And I know that that is the case for some of you. And I would encourage you to rejoice in that, to be thankful to God for that, to, to tell that person what they mean and what they have meant in your life for that. Encourage them with that. That's a beautiful thing. And also, I would encourage you to continue to go deeper. Don't just rest and settle on that, but, but to continue to pursue Christ together with those friends. And also, I would encourage you to turn that out and to multiply it. So maybe you've invested in somebody and you've poured into their life and you've had this type of friendship with them and now you see someone else who needs that kind of relationship. So maybe you tell that person, hey, here's what I would love for you to do. I want you to meet with this person and invest in them like I invested in you. Just think about the movement that would happen. But some of you would say, I, 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 yeah, I have those friends. They're just not in the church. I've never been able to find them in the church. I found them outside of the church. And then the third group is related to that, which is where you'd say, I just don't have any friends like that. Well, when you think about who God is and what he's done and who he's claimed us to be, his children, and we are brothers and sisters, it is unthinkable that we would struggle at all to find those kinds of relationships in the church family. And it's, it's heartbreaking to me. Why, why isn't this the case? It's not just here. It's any church um, that, it, it, across the world, really, there, there are these struggles. So why is that? Why isn't the experience that everyone has one of true biblical friendship? Well, I think it's because of this one big myth. And the myth is the, it's the affinity myth. And affinity is just having things in common. So there's a myth, especially in the Western church, that to find these true friends means to find people that you have a lot of things in common with. That you have the same hobbies, the same interests, you're in the same life stage, you have the same sense of humor, you quote the same TV shows. And there's this view that like, okay, that's, that's what friendships are, true biblical friendships are. You find those people and then you just add Jesus to it. It's a myth. It's not what we see in the Bible. I would love to know, and someday I'll get to know, the dynamics of the relationships among the original disciples. Because they, did not, they were not an affinity-based small group. You had educated and uneducated. You had civil, and you had those who were rough around the edges. You, you, had, you had a tax collector and people who he cheated and stole from. 
How does that work to form a foundation of a movement? And it's not just there. Think of the early church. I love seeing Paul and his relationships with like Titus and Timothy, but specifically think of Titus. Paul was a Pharisee, born a Jew. He was, uh, he was so committed to preserve, preserving the law that, that, and so obedient to it that he wanted to see Christians persecuted. What did he have in common with Titus, who was a Greek? Knew nothing of Paul's upbringing, had nothing in common. And yet he says, Paul says this to Titus in chapter 1. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Titus, who has nothing in common, becomes a son to Paul. Why? Because of their common upbringing? No. Because of their common age? Nope. Because they were fans of the same chariot racing team? No. He says to Titus, my true child in a what? Common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. They had nothing in common except for Jesus. And in having Jesus in common, they had everything in common. See, the big myth is that in finding true friends, I have to find people who think like me, act like me, speak like me, are in the same stage of life as me, and with whom conversations flow really easily. Basically, we want easy. We want easy, fast connections, and that is companionship. That is not biblical friendship. And you might say, well, why can't I have both? Well, here's, here's the thing. I'm not saying you can't have both, but... But the truth is this. The truth is that all of those things that make for quick connections and make for easy, quick connections are the same things that make true friendships so difficult. You may say, well, why? That doesn't make any sense. Why is the fact that we share, um, you know, a, a fan or like being fans of a sports team, why does that make um, true friendship harder? Well, think about it. There's, it's a pretty common theme in psychology and sociology that people will talk about and bond over the thing that they connect with most quickly. Like whatever you connect over with most quickly, that's what you talk about. So think about it. You have work friends. You have friends at work. And, and what do you talk about with your friends at work? You talk about work. And even if you see them outside, you probably quickly go to work. Why? Because that's the quick, easy connection. I know I can talk to you about that. And if you don't that, then, it's, then you may have a hobby in, in, in common. So if you both like the Packers, what do you talk about when you get together? Talk about the Packers or fishing or, like I said, the TV show that you can quote. And don't tell me, like, oh, well, this one time, this one time my fishing buddy, like, I asked him how things were going in his life, and he said, good. So check that off the list. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real, deep, abiding friendships. And the reality is that we want easy. We desire easy. And so anytime we get the chance, we go for easy. That's our nature. In my experience, when people have nothing else in common other than Jesus, then that's what they talk about. And like I said, when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. Think about it. 
Because you think about relationships in the same way. You're thinking about life goals in the same way. You think about your, your foundation is the same. What you believe as truth is the same. What you're pursuing is the same. Even if the worldly things don't look the same. And when you think in those terms and when you, kind of, when you find that, then it opens up a whole world of blessing. Because if you're single, then you get to be in front of married couples and you get to see how married couples in Christ function. Or if you're a grandparent age, you get to be with parents and with children, grandchildren, spiritual grandchildren, and love for them and care for them while encouraging mom and dad along the way. Or if you're a teenager, you get to develop relationships, God-honoring relationships with young adults who have been where you are and are trying, can help you navigate those waters. Look, having lots in common makes for quick connections that never have to go deep. And because they never have to go deep, they rarely do. But having little in common in the world's eyes makes for slower connections in much deeper waters. But we don't function that way. We make judgments based off of first impressions, how easily the conversation flowed, how easy it was to find common interests and, and time to get together, just how effortless it, it all felt. And we are always chasing easy. We think that true friendship should be easy. Conversations will come easily. But we don't see that in the Bible. Because what, what will produce real friendships that will sharpen me and will sustain me in times of adversity? It's those slow, deep connections. And the reality is just having true friends like that is just harder work. It doesn't come easily and we, it gets awkward and we don't, we're not really sure how to sustain in them. Companions are just easier. And when I get bored with a companion, I can just move on to a different companion. It's not that big of a deal, but the cost is long-term. And so one thing I would say is if you want companions, if you're content with that, then stay in the shallow end of the pool. But if you want a friend that sticks closer than a brother, then you have to jump into the deep end. And hear me, one of the things I want to make sure I get across is that this is a choice. Maybe you think that God hasn't brought people in your life. Maybe you're saying, okay, I want those friends, but God's not bringing them to me. I can say with almost 100% certainty that that is untrue. God has provided that. You just may not be seeing it or be taking advantage of it. It may not be the people you think. We had friends in our church plant back in Denver that started out slowly. They were not talkers. They were painfully blunt when they did speak. They were children, or they were, they were a young married couple, but they had, they had no children, had no plans of having children. Um, Lauren and I were, you know, just having babies, and we're just, our lives were dominated, our world was dominated by that. These people were dog people, and you know what dog people are like. We were not. We've petted a few dogs, but that's the extent of our relationship with dogs. And so we didn't understand the whole dog thing. They were super outdoorsy. We were not. We had like nothing in common. But over time, we bonded over the one thing we did have in common, which was Jesus. And when our family was in financial trouble, they were the ones who noticed. They were the ones who bought us groceries. They were the ones who talked to the church 
and rallied the church to support us at a time when Lauren and I couldn't ask for it. And when everything in Denver came to an end and we were grief-stricken and heartbroken and overwhelmed, they were the ones who were there until late at night packing up boxes and carrying garbage out to the curb. Choose that. I mean, can, it, can a companion grow into that? Yes. But ironically, those easier friendships, it is much harder to grow into that because it takes more energy because you have to choose to talk about something other than the thing you've bonded over. You have to break from your social norms with that person of saying, hey, you know, how are the Packers doing? Like, what's the draft class look like? When's the first game? You have to break from that and say, hey, what's God been teaching you this week? How can I be praying for your heart right now? Who has Jesus shown himself to be this week? What are you learning about him? You have to step into something real. And so how, how do you develop that? Well, one is you just see it. You have to see it. Like I said, sometimes you're missing what is right in front of you. You have to receive the friendships that God is giving you rather than the, what you wish you had in others. That friend who jumped in the car to drive 12 hours to be there for me, we knew each other for five or six years before we became friends, mainly because I didn't like him. I th- he was a great athlete. He was a better athlete than me. People liked him more. It was just like I just didn't, I didn't trust the guy. And um, he was in my youth group, and, I, and through my high school years, I was super lonely. I had lots of companions. I'd go to school and you would have never known that I was so lonely because I was an extrovert. I talked to people. I got along with people from all different crews. Like I could be in any classroom and, and have friends, classroom friends. But when push came to shove, I didn't have real friends. I didn't have true friends. And so I prayed. I would beg God for friends. And, and I remember one time in spe- specifically at youth group, I'm praying for a friend and I'm praying for a friend and five feet away from me is this kid, Ryan, praying for friends. And we just had never, never connected the dots. And I got up from that prayer, and I looked over it, and I saw him, and I was like, oh. And God was saying, duh. Six years, long time to see somebody and be like, oh. So I walked over to him, and I just said, hey, I was just praying I think God wants us to be friends. Super cool, right? Played that one well. (laughs) And he just looked back at me. He's like, I think so too. That's the dude that 15 years later jumps in a car, no questions asked, drives across the country. And so you have to see it and you have to be that friend. That old adage, if you want to have a friend, be a friend. It's super cute, but it's also true. I know you're used to me taking those sayings and tearing them to shreds right before your eyes, but this one is true. If you want to have that kind of friend, you have to be that kind of friend. It takes courage. It takes faith. Sometimes it means being looking like a fool, but it means taking the chance to sharpen iron. It means asking for somebody to do that in you and then being willing to do that for somebody else. It means sticking closer to a brother before that bond is really formed. You have to be that for people. And you also have to realize you can't be that to everyone, and not everyone can be that for you. In a church this size, that's, that's common. There's just no way you can be that level, take that level of responsibility for each other. It's why it's so good that we have a Father who is watching out for all of us. 
Like in a church this size, we, we tend to function like a big extended family. So when Joseph needs help and he's having surgery and the Langtows need help, we rally around and we support. And some of you have that kind of relationship with the Langtows and the rest of us are just like, okay, it's like a, it's a, it's a cousin. Like we're willing to jump in and help. I mean, if your expectations are that you'll know everybody in this church like that and everyone will be this for you, then you will be disappointed. I mean, I've seen, I've been in those situations, not just here, but everywhere where, where someone, I remember one particular time where someone said, you know, the reason why I don't come to church is because I was in the hospital and the church wasn't there for me. Which sounds really sad until I start asking questions. And what they really meant was the pastor didn't come and visit me, but like a dozen people from the church were there constantly. And so my response is, well, the church was there. We are the church. Right? Like, this isn't just like, okay, well, if Archer doesn't come and visit you, well, the church didn't come and visit you. But meanwhile, a dozen people are there for you all the time. Well, the church is there for you. And we have to embrace that and receive that gift and be that for others. And one of the easiest ways to do that is just to focus on the ones in front of you. Start in your community. Like, this is what gospel communities are all about. And we, as we're launching more gospel communities, these are not, these are not pro, they're not a program. They're an environment. And so if you are interested in that and you're hearing this and you're saying, I just don't know where to start, talk to one of the elders. Talk to me. Talk to any one of the elders, Archer, Robbie, and say, um, ask him, like, ask, ask Brian, hey, hey, what's going on in, in, in Pestigo? How do I get connected in here? Ask Martin Brown if you're in Coleman and say, like, what do I, what do, I do? Like, I want to I get involved. If you're in, in Marinette or, or anywhere else, ask Doug Smith because he's flying in a helicopter, so he covers everything. Um, you can ask him or ask any of us, like, we, we want to get you connected, but here's the thing, what you have to know to be prepared to go into that kind of environment is, one, these relationships take time to develop. You will not be blown away the first time you join a gospel community for dinner. They're not designed for quick connections. They're designed for slow, deep life connections. And they take investment. It's not a consumer thing. You don't show up at it and be like, ah, I didn't really get anything out of that. It's, it's an investment thing. And the reason why that environment is so important is because in that environment, everyone's on the same page that we're taking responsibility for one another. You're my responsibility. I'm not looking around to anybody else. If I see something going on in your life, I'm going to say something because that's my place. If you need something in your life, I'm going to be there for you because that's my place. Those are the types of friendships. That's what we desire for everybody and that's what I believe will, will communicate and carry the gospel to a lost and hurting world that is all around us. So here's the encouragement. Pray for those friends. Pray that you'll be that friend. Take a risk today and push the envelope with someone that you're not sure. I don't know if this is a companion or a true friend. And if they prove themselves to be a companion, then just, okay, God, that's not who you have. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to trust you for who you have for me. But take that risk. Ask somebody what God is teaching them. Ask them about their relationship with Jesus. Just take that step. Come to the elders and talk to us. See what it looks like to develop community, these kinds of friendship in your area. Let's be faithful in this and see what God does and receive the gifts that he has for us with joy. Let's pray. Father, we know that you have these gifts for us. We know that you have not designed us to walk this earth alone. That's not what we are to do. We are meant to be in community, in real, deep 
community. And God, some of us have that real deep community, and I'm so thankful for that. There are people in this church, God, who I know they have had these deep friendships for decades. And what a glorious thing it is. I pray that those would be on display so that we would know what to pursue. I pray, God, that they would pursue those more and more. And God, I, I pray that we would not settle for companions. That we would not settle for being a com- companion. That we would do the hard work of investing so we would reap the benefit and the reward of life-giving relationships that are founded on you and centered on you and spur us and stir us up to love and good works. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.